This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Repeat after me. I'm grateful for the actors. I am grateful for the writing. I am grateful for the comedy. I am grateful for the script. I am not grateful for the critics who poo-pooed on this movie. But I am grateful for the chance to prove to you that America's Sweethearts is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And we're about to get a little lovey-dovey in here because we are tackling, I think for the first time on this show, a rom-com. That's right, we're talking about 2001's America's Sweethearts. And here to join me on the podcast is Canada's sweetheart, my lovely wife, Carrie. Welcome back to the show, Carrie. How you doing? I'm good, but I have questions. You have does questions. That, does that mean that I'm sweet to all of Canada? or uh, No, that, that means that, that, that in the eyes of Canada, you are a sweetheart. Aww. Right? I, I don't know about that. That is literally the only reason we're doing this movie, so a? I can basically call you a sweetheart on podcast and get away with it. <laughs> I have motives. I have reasons. Um, Here's the funny thing. My wife is on the show, and we're doing a rom-com. And normally you would think, oh, well, Carrie picked the movie. No, I picked the movie. And this is not a very Carrie movie. This is not, actually. Spoilers. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. Not necessarily this movie in particular, but when I said to you, hey, let's do a rom-com, um, how much did you double-take and question if aliens had kidnapped your husband and replaced him with something else? <laughs> well, when Harry met Sally, no okay. said. Okay, that 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 is that is a, tre- a treasured moment. And the funny thing is, when you take a look at the cast of who's in this film, you could sit there and name a ton of different rom-coms and romantic movies that are, you know, kind of held in that kind of pinnacle. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But when I mentioned this movie, had you ever seen it before actually tackling it for this show? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I'm, I can't say that I certainly didn't run out to the theaters to see it. But I must have picked it up in a, you know, rent 10 for 10 days for 99 seven movies, Seven movies, seven days. Okay. I, <laughs> 10 I, movies, 10 days, 10 bucks. I, I think we need to somehow bring back Blockbuster in some kind of way. Because you know what? I'm sorry, but seven movies for seven days, that was that was, that was was a week's worth of, of just like, you know. Remember when they tried like... DVD rentals, machines, like... Redbox apparently is still a thing in the States. Is it? Yeah. Oh, how yeah. does that work? I, I I'm know. I'm not quite sure. Maybe maybe someone can chime in from the States and explain the whole Redbox thing, but you know. Now it would have to be like 
rent a digital copy, much like the library <laughs> provides, you know? You have three days to watch this movie before your link expires. Go. Which is funny because we actually borrowed this off of Hoopla to to review this. Thank you, public library. <laughs> See? Literacy. It's a good thing. Okay. But before we get into this movie, it is time to take America's Sweethearts and trailerize it. Crystal brings you a movie that answers the question, what would Hollywood have been like in the 90s if Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks were actually married? Watch as two actors at the bottom of their careers leave the fate of their future in the hands of a studio that thought a script about a time-traveling cop and tap-dancing Nazis was a good idea. Masterminding a weekend of facade and frivolity is Lee, a studio press agent with the monumental task of proving that one actor is likable and the other isn't crazy. Which one is which? You decide. America, sweethearts. Ready PG-13. But really... How many 13-year-olds are actually going to watch America's Sweethearts? You know what, though? It's funny you mention that, but the answer is actually quite a few. Before we get into actually who's starring in this and all that kind of stuff, let's jump to the box office because that is key, okay? So, this film, according to IMDb, had a budget of $46 million, had a domestic gross of 96 million and a worldwide gross of 138 million dollars. So based on their budget worldwide, they tripled what they spent. You almost have to say that like from Austin Powers. <laughs> 138 million dollars. And the funny Thank thing you, is Thank you Dr. Evil. That is 2001 dollars okay so how did that do at the box office when this movie debuted on the july 20th 2001 weekend i feel so freaking old now when i say that by the way because this movie is 21 years old um it debuted at number two the number one debuting film that year uh or that week debuting at number one was jurassic park three i mean that's not a big surprise but that movie debuted at 50 million, like almost 51. America's Sweethearts debuted at 30 million. Like it brought in quite a bit. And, you know, when you look at the cast, it doesn't, you know, it's not surprising. But I want to put this into perspective here, okay? So I went up and took a list on the numbers.com for box office performances. Now keep in mind, this is domestically, okay? So this is North American box office. For romantic comedy movies in 2001, America's Sweethearts made the most of all romantic comedy films that were released in 2001. The next one, number two, which made, again, according to the numbers.com, $22 million less at the domestic box office, was Bridget Jones's Diary. And when I go through the list here, like there are some namer rom-com films like, uh, again, Bridget Jones's Diary, Shallow Hal at number three, 
What Women Want at number four, The Wedding Planner at number five, Serendipity was at number six, only made $50 million at the domestic box office. And that's another John Cusack film. Like, Kate and Leopold, 30 million, 30 and a half million. Someone Like You, 27 million. Like, America's Sweethearts killed them all at the domestic box office. So, I mean, when you take a look at those kind of numbers, um, you, you have to question all of a sudden why it got the rating it did as far as critics go. But let's go through who's in this. Because the cast probably helped carry quite a bit of it. I mentioned John Cusack. It also has Billy Crystal, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Julia Roberts, Seth Green, Stanley Tucci, Hank Azaria, and Christopher Walken. You realize that's going to happen like all show. Bad Christopher Walken imitations. But this movie also has an almost start. And it's an interesting one. Because in the role of Eddie, it almost starred Billy Crystal. Here's the thing. Mm. Billy Crystal wrote and produced this film. And when he wrote the film, he wrote himself into the role of Eddie. Yeah, I can't see that being the same. Okay. Uh, the director, Joe Roth, actually convinced him. Like, no, 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 you, you, you should be Lee. You should be Lee. And Billy Crystal went with it. And I think that was the right choice. But also, apparently originally slated to, to play as Eddie at one point in time, was Robert Downey Jr. Ooh. Right? Ooh, and I that would be fun. I don't hate that idea. But keep in mind, too, 2001, this is when RDJ was having some legal issues as far as his personal life goes. Hold up, though. Okay. I don't think it would have been quite the same. I think what made Eddie so absolutely perfectly neurotic was John Cusack. I can't see Robert Downey Jr. giving it the same spin on his see, I, I neurosis, argue that one, on his anxiety, on his complete mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> see, you know, I, I would argue that one. And, you know, I, you, I may go back to uh, Two Girls and a Guy on that one because there was a film where he played a very, like, neurotic actor kind of thing and... I think it would have worked out well. Although yeah, Two Girls and a Guy is a much more a tonally different film than this. He's just too cool. <laughs> no, like... Are you saying John Cusack isn't cool? Uh, oh, go watch Say Anything. Okay, that is that is one of the quintessential 80s romantic movies. Say no, Anything is... I know. get that. I get that. But he's also very good at what he does and the performance of Eddie Mm -hmm. would not have been the same. I think no disrespect to Robert Downey Jr. Love Iron Man. You know, I'm a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) I love him 3000. However, (laughs) it wouldn't be the same. Okay. In the role of Gwen is played by Catherine Zeta Jones. It was almost played by Julia Roberts. She actually turned the role of Gwen down in favor of playing Kiki, apparently. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. Um, Then who would have been Kiki? Well, it's interesting, too, because... And it does... IMDb does not say who she was supposed to play. But Billy Crystal, at one point, wanted Meg Ryan 
to be in this. And mm. I have a feeling if Billy Crystal wrote himself, like when he was writing this, wrote himself to be Eddie, you have to think that Meg Ryan was probably going to be Kiki. Hmm. And you're thinking about that because, of course, you mentioned When Harry Met Sally. That is, of any movie under the rom-com title, When Harry Met Sally is up there as the absolute pinnacle, in my opinion, of, of romantic comedy type movies. Um, and now, then there's Sleepless in Seattle. But no, but that was Tom Hanks, though. Oh, I know. Right. I know, but that's a good one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is with Meg Ryan... Like she was, she was going through some stuff at that time. See, in, oh. two, in 2000, uh, she separated from her husband, Dennis Quaid, and then they announced uh, the divorce was final in 2001. So probably not the best time for her to jump in a, you know, into a film role. So I kind of get that. Uh, this movie was directed by Joe Roth, as I mentioned earlier. This is the first movie that he had directed in 11 years. Before jumping into this, he's known as being the director as well of Revenge of the Nerds 2 and Christmas with the Cranks. However, it was almost directed by Billy Crystal. He was so involved in this film. But then I guess Joe Roth kind of, you know, got a hold of the script somehow kind of thing and was so enamored with it that he basically went to Crystal like, I I, I want to direct this. I want to direct this. And Billy Crystal's like, Okay, okay. Which, you know, I, I don't know what it would look like if Billy Crystal directed it, but I can't see it being much different. Uh, I mentioned it was co-written and produced by Billy Crystal. Interestingly, in the trailer eyes, we said this was rated PG-13. It was originally rated R for strong language and sexual innuendo. But then the studio, of which I can only assume is Stanley Tucci, uh, came in and made some cuts in order to get it down to a PG-13 level, um, which probably helped the box office at that point. But here is why we are talking about this film, and it's the critic rating. On Metacritic, it has a 44 Metacritic score. And over on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 32% tomatometer and a 40% audience score. I, I, I don't know. 32% seems low to me. And we're going to get to the comparisons a little bit later, but let's get to the breakdown of this film. And we have to start with the man who basically wanted to wear every single hat there is on the production team. I'm sure at some point he was the lighting grip as well. Billy Crystal. As Lee, and I'm so glad that he did switch from Eddie to Lee. He, he He's so perfect for this role like there's just a, a a fun manicness to it and lee gets some of the best lines well i mean because he wrote it anyways um although you can see in some of the lines that eddie gets you can see how krista was writing it for him um but what was it about lee that made that that, that worked for you uh, the eye roll where he was talking with Eddie, I think he was in the hotel room with him and had to bounce back in between Eddie and Gwen and he turned his back and it was almost like breaking the third wall. He like rolled his eyes to the camera, but it was, you know, I mean, it was quite, you know, in character of what he would, what any um, agent, handler, what? Press agent. Ah, press agent. 
It was exactly, you know, he's, he's, what, got, to, he's got to run the hunk it. Yeah, it, it <laughs> is what would happen the minute you turn your back on a client, right? Like, this guy's crazy. Let's roll our eyes. Um, however, you had mentioned like that he almost directed. And I think I, I think a big sticky point that I had with this movie was perhaps in the direction. And I, I would have really, really loved to have seen him. He did so well in the writing. The writing is funny. It is very well delivered. Um, and, and in his character, he was so, like, he was so perfect. However, I think with his direction, I would have enjoyed the movie more. Really? I think I think a lot of critics perhaps might agree with me. I don't know. We don't know. We'll never know because it, that's not how it turned out. However, I I just I think even though the dialogue was good, the caliber of the actors, all of them across the board was phenomenal. I still think that there was something missing. I think that it could have been improved. And I think that is learning what, what I know now. I think Billy Crystal in the in the chair would have been just that little perfectness. But to the same token as well, it's one of those things where if you're the producer and the writer, or at least co-writer, and the director, and one of the stars, is there a point where you become too involved and you cannot separate yourself from it but he's very funny like i think that i think it would have i think it would have worked like i can't see how it would have been a detriment the nice thing is i mean it's it's very much you know a billy crystal performance i mean if you if you go back to some of those roles i mean like you know again when harry met sally like really truly and honestly you know, prime, prime Billy Crystal performance in that. But there were times when some of the one-liners were coming out that that there was that small little cameo of his as Miracle Max in The Princess Bride. And it's just almost some of those sarcastic one-liners that come out that, I, you know, is very much part of his, you know, not just his his one-man show routine, but but the way he writes as well. Um, like, there's one line there that he came out with. It's like, people don't kill people at a Hyatt. Other chains, yes. And it's like, you can almost hear Billy Crystal's voice as you're reading the quote. And it's like, yep, yeah, I can easily hear Billy Crystal actually say that. But there's, there's something about him where you where you buy everything that he does, right? Because there's a level of caring for everyone there. It's almost like there's a level for caring for, for Gwen and Eddie, but only in so much as he sees them as people, I think, right? I think there's a level of care for Eddie. I think Gwen is so within herself that he's like, yes, I, I, I will make nice with her because I need to, because that's what I do. But I think there's a lot of respect for Kiki, much more respect for Kiki than for anyone else of the main four. And I think that's because Lee sees a lot of himself in Kiki and what she has to deal with when dealing with Gwen. Let's move on to John Cusack, though. The guy Billy Crystal was originally going to play. I mentioned earlier on that in some of the lines that Eddie comes out with, 
you can very much, again, hear that Billy Crystal delivery because he wrote it originally for himself. Again, much better that that John Cusack is in there as, as, you know, as opposed to Billy Crystal. Although, I could see, you know, if you had uh, a Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan pairing as Eddie and Gwen, I could very easily see that as well. Um, or if Meg Ryan was playing Gwen, Tom Hanks as Eddie would have been hilarious. However... There's, and I don't know if you noticed this, and I, you know, I'm not afraid to point certain things out here. When they're doing the montage of all the films that Gwen and Eddie did before time after time, John Cusack doesn't know how to kiss Catherine Zeta Jones. Like every time it's literally like mashing of faces and it's like, I, did, did you two practice this? Cause I think you should have. It's, it just seems so awkward. Like think about the first time you got to kiss a girl or ladies think about the first time you got to kiss a guy or whoever it is, whoever that first kiss is doesn't matter doesn't matter what you how good you thought it was from the outside perspective it's probably the most awkward goddamn thing ever ever it it felt like this like you know how sometimes you see a kiss on screen and like okay i could see the chemistry there it didn't feel that between john cusack and Catherine zeta jones do you think though that's because they were acting like in the montage those were movie clips, mm-hmm. not necessarily reflective of their actual marriage. So do you think that was intentional, that that, that was their on-screen kiss? I, I, it's possible. Meant to be dramatic and passionate and I just mean, really awkward. I mean, it could also be an underlying thing where... Um, the two people themselves are not necessarily simpatico, so their kisses aren't going to be simpatico. I was kind of thinking that as well. Mm-hmm. Like, when you kiss someone and it feels right, you know. You absolutely know. If you kiss someone and you're like, hmm, this is like Jenga and Twister combined, and I'm losing at both games at the same time, probably not going to go much past the second or third date um <laughs> i mean i'm just picking here on on how it looked but like when you watch it it's like hmm no no just no but i i think again as you said i think that's very uh in line with perhaps how their marriage was mm-hmm. i think maybe it was you know <clears throat> you often have to speculate if mm, I'd say about 80% of the Hollywood marriages, if it's um, based on publicity, um, I don't know. Like you just, there are some couples that you see and you're like, "Mm, I don't know if this is uh, love or did your agents arrange this? Um, and, and I think maybe that was kind of, I, I think this movie perhaps is supposed to be a bit of a, I don't know. A, Are you saying Hollywood is run by a secret Illuminati that pairs people together just for, for better press? Uh, that's going a bit in depth, but you know. <laughs> you realize, of course, as I have said those words, Hollywood is sitting there going, he knows, <laughs> he knows. <laughs> 
Finish him. Get him off. Get him on. Get him on the phone. I can hear. Stan, I can hear Stanley Tucci's voice going. I know a guy who can make it happen. Like <laughs> if you need him, Dad, it can happen. Um, yeah, I can hear the dead air now. Right now, the funny thing is, like we mentioned that this was almost played by Robert Downey Jr. and you said that John Cusack uh, was a better choice. I'd like to throw a third name in the conversation. Curious if you would agree with me on this one. Matthew Broderick. I can see Eddie. it. I, I think the, the funny thing about both John Cusack and Matthew Broderick is both kind of came up around the same time. Both super, like, come across as super nice guys kind of thing. I, I think it's, it's you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other if you put either of them in this role. But who would you think you, you would have preferred, Matthew Broderick or John Cusack? I think John Cusack did very well. Mm-hmm. I I. I can't see any reason to replace him. I mean, Matthew Broderick definitely would come across as, you know, nice guy Eddie. John Cusack comes across as nice guy Eddie too, but John Cusack, I think, plays better broken. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's the trouble I had with Robert Downey Jr. in, in the role of Eddie. Really? Yeah. I, I just don't think, I, I don't think he would pull it off that well, mm. as well as John Cusack. Not that he's not a good actor. But I just think John Cusack did so well that I would, I personally wouldn't want to change it. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's talk about Gwen. We just finished talking about Eddie. Let's talk about Catherine Zeta Jones. Um, here's here's the here's the funny thing here. Gwen is a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Very Gwen, annoying. Gwen is an absolute utter train wreck of a human being. And you're not supposed to like her mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. I I don't like Gwen. That's based in mostly in the stellar performance of Catherine Zeta Jones in that role. She played it well. Yeah, I mean it takes it takes a lot. Like here's the thing: you, you can sit there and go, "Oh, Catherine Zeta Jones is a bitch." No, Gwen is a bitch. Catherine Zeta Jones made you think that Gwen is a bitch because Catherine Zeta-Jones is a phenomenal actress. And it's it's funny because it's it's a bit of a different role, right? Like, she comes in playing the unlikable one. Like, she is so good. But she does it well. Like <laughs> She's a good bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's a very nice person in reality. But the, fun, but the funny thing is about Gwen is that she doesn't know she's a bad person. She doesn't. Like there's that there's that scene where she's trying to convince like she wakes up Kiki uh, to convince her to go get Eddie so the two of them can talk kind of thing, and you know you all you can see that that sisterly kind of Kiki Kiki please I need it and then the minute Kiki agrees to go she's like this, your pillow's better than mine I'm gonna take it like nothing that Gwen does is for anyone else but Gwen. It's just, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And the fact that Catherine Zeta-Jones pulls this off in a way that you, that you hate Gwen even more than how Gwen probably came across on paper, that's kudos to her. But on the flip side, there's Kiki, you know, the other sister. And as I was doing my research, apparently in the script, Kiki is the younger sister, but it feels to me like Kiki is actually the older sister and Catherine Zeta Jones is like the younger one that always got the praise and always got the push and always like 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 the the the, the favorite kind of thing. But either way, and this this 
I'm I'm curious your reaction to what I'm about to say here. This may be one of my favorite Julia Roberts roles ever. And hmm. I'm I'm saying that over Pretty Woman. That's a tall statement mm-hmm. right there. Even over um her role in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? Over that, yes. Wow. I, I actually in all honesty, I think she was highly underused in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, I wouldn't want to see her in Drew Barrymore's role in that, but I think she was underutilized in, in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. But I think that's by design, because you don't want her to become too overbearing of a character. But when it comes to this role, right? And like, yeah, she's the the, the love interest kind of thing. Like, even though it's, it's a, you know, it, it's... You know, she's the third wheel on the tricycle at this point. And it's just such a fun role for her because, you know, she plays the person who, you know, is strong and determined and fierce and organized and all of that, except when it comes to her. She's the person that puts everyone else before herself. And this is the moment where she starts to actually reach for the things to make her happy like honestly like she's had a stellar career thus far still going this is one of my favorite roles of hers pretty woman will always be my favorite julia roberts movie um but i agree that she did very well with it i just wouldn't put it as my top favorite see i'm gonna argue the pretty woman thing here And, and it's nothing to do with her performance it has nothing to do with Richard Gere. But when you think about, you know, the underlying story of the film, right? She's the hooker with a heart of gold. And, you know, everything is at this level until some rich guy comes along to rescue her. And it's not a very empowering story. As Kiki... She all of a sudden starts to take the power back from this from the sister, starts to actually advocate for herself. Kiki is a much stronger role than and I'm trying to remember. I think it was Vivian in um in Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. But yeah, much stronger character. Well, there's always Aaron Brockovich. But that, that was a strong female character. The the the, the the argument there, though, is that that's a biographical film. Um, so, I mean, the the real Aaron Brockovich is a tough-as-nails, badass woman to begin with. Um, but and, she played it well. Oh, very much so. But at least as far as my personal enjoyment of the roles that she plays, mm-hmm. there's something about Kiki that is, it. she's strong, she's likable, she's relatable, and it, it's not a, necessarily a trope. And I couldn't see Meg Ryan playing no. Kiki. I I think it would have been, you know what, at some point you have to break ties or break expectation from When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. And I had said that completely um, unknowing at the beginning of, of our talk tonight. Like I had no idea that... Um, Billy Crystal was thinking about playing Eddie and that Meg Ryan was even in, you know, consideration for the role of Kiki. Like, I I just, I think, you know what, you get to the point where you see the same matchup of actors 
and you just have that expectation or you have mm-hmm. that like preconceived um, notion of how this is going to go or comparing it to another completely different project. But but even in the 80s, um, if you're reca- if you're doing this movie, this very movie with this script in the 80s, I don't know if I would put I would even put Meg Ryan in that role to begin with. No, exactly. No. Uh, like I would actually, you know, opt to put someone like a Samantha Morton uh, who you remember best from Pump Up the Volume um, in the role of Kiki because, as, again, a much stronger character, right? Meg Ryan's great. Meg Ryan's adorable. Meg Ryan's awesome in Meg Ryan roles. This was a stronger Julia Roberts role um, and the role of Kiki benefited from her being in it. Let's have some fun here and we have to talk about Hector. We have to talk about Hector because he is the man that comes between Eddie and the Gwen. Which you have to think, you know, Hector is, uh, his his character description is probably like, you know, he's Spanish. That's pretty much the one-liner. Hank Azaria is so much fun in this. He's great in everything. Right? Like, I don't think I've ever seen him in a bad role. No? Not necessarily bad movie. <laughs> a bad because I was about to say, have you seen him in Godzilla? But <laughs> <laughs> trust me, you will. Uh, but here's the thing with with Hank Azaria, and I, and I like that it was Hank Azaria as Hector, right? The fact that Gwen left Eddie for Hector, they could have gone the trope route. And put some Rico Suave buff, you know, air hose up the ass, pumped up, boom, 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 kind of thing. Um, How about like an Antonio Banderas? Oh, Antonio Banderas would be so good. But, <laughs> but, you know, they could have put like some buffed up, like romance cover novel type model. Um, and that would be the reason why Gwen left Eddie. But they didn't. It was Hank Azaria. And I think it works out well because Hank Azaria and John Cusack, while they don't look the same, they're kind of the same body type. So it makes sense that Gwen would go for someone who maybe feels like a younger version of Eddie kind of thing. Like, like this is a marriage that broke up, right? So they didn't go with the, the trope buffed up supermodel, you know, like, you know, I, I could do this all day kind of, you know, super freak steroid guy. No, they went with Hank Azaria. And the way he plays Hector, though, Hector is just as shallow as Gwen. So it makes sense. Like, Hank Azaria nailed it. Like, you have to think, in the script itself, you know, it's it's probably like, okay, so this is the guy that he left, you know, that, that she left him for. He brought Hector to Gwen's level. And I'm curious, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw this hypothetical out to you here. At the end of this movie, are Hector and Gwen still together? Ooh, I hope not. I hope he, I hope he runs, like, <laughs> like get out of that quickly. Right? <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing is, um, Gwen was such a horrible person i mean she played it so well but she was such a horrible person that you 
just you kind of want to see her alone. She no longer has Kiki, you know, waiting on her every beck and call. And she lost good guy Eddie, Mm -hmm. nice guy Eddie. And I mean, her career, like after (laughs) this movie comes out, um, not that I, I think was it not that she had like her career was taking a a steep nosedive. Well, yeah, because 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 Eddie and Gwen had done all these movies together, and then there was the incident kind of thing where you know Eddie kind of ran his motorcycle through the restaurant window, and you know you know oh it was an accident, all right. No, 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 he 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 he, he lost it. He Yet lost people it. still disliked her. <laughs> you know, it was nice guy Eddie. You know, he could do no wrong, even though well, it's, trying it's, to kill her. <laughs> again, it's, it's it's one of the lines in the in the script where, where she's like, you know, does attempted murder not get anyone's attention anymore? It's like, <laughs> oh, that, 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 that. It was so well written. <laughs> it was like, very well. It's those little nuances in the script. Mm-hmm. But, but, and, and it, it, it is. It really, really is. But those characters on paper are good. Those characters are even better put in the hands of these actors, just like Stanley Tucci, the uh, the, the studio exec. <laughs> He's so great. He is. I, I, and the funny thing is, as I'm watching him, and I really wish, I really, really wish they had ca- they had cast Superman Returns better, because you tell me the Stanley Tucci wouldn't make a phenomenal Lex Luthor back then. Oh yes. Oh, can we just go back in time? All Make right. it so. Get rid of Kevin Spacey. All right. Put Stanley Tucci in as Lex Luthor and just make that Superman phenomenal because there was nothing wrong with Brandon Routh the Superman. Nothing wrong at all. But Stanley Tucci as Lex Luthor it would be brilliant. But again, he's this manic studio head. And I think not just the best thing about him is not the fact that Stanley Tucci plays him well. It's how Stanley Tucci plays against Billy Crystal like just the two of them like just ping-ponging the lines back and forth it's just masterpiece work at that point and then you have Seth Green this one surprised me because when you think about movies that were coming at around that time Seth Green you know of course you 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 recognize him as Scott Evil from the Austin Powers film this is a much more dialed back Seth Green and I think that plays well in relation to Billy Crystal. Because when you think about the relationship between the two, right? Seth Green is the guy that the studio chose over Lee. Like they fired Lee. This is the guy that's gonna take over. This guy doesn't have a clue. And you know, this is this is it's played so like just that 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 obliviousness to the movie industry that Seth Green played really well in this. He had to be low-key. I mean um, because Stanley Tucci was so good mm-hmm. and so kind of just manic, right? He needed to have that very low-key yes-man assistant. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you, that golf scene made me guffaw <laughs> because it was so perfect. It was, I love physical humor, mm-hmm. you know. So when he gets taken down by a stray golf ball, it was... It was so funny. You, you, I can just hear that Simpsons reference now. Like, well, this film had character and and depth, but but ball in the groin had a ball in the groin, <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly my uh, my take on uh, on Seth Green. Although he was great, 
But that's the thing. He needed to be not an idiot because he wasn't an idiot, right? He just never got taught the ropes as to how to properly manage this kind of situation. But I think that was perfect that he was so unknowing. Naive. of, Of why. Yeah, exactly. Naive is the perfect term because, you know, he sees all of like... He sees all of this going down and and the tapes being leaked and the photographers just precariously posted in the setup, mm-hmm. right, uh, to get those photos. And yet he just kind of goes along with it because, well, that's his job and he's just doing what he's told. And I, I think the fact that he, he wasn't asking questions or wasn't, like he was just going along to get along, mm-hmm. right? He wasn't trying to rewrite the book. He was just there to do his job. And I think the fact that he was so, um, he was so kind of low key, mm-hmm. it was perfect. Yeah. You, he could have out crazied Stanley yeah, Tucci. But no, it was, it was, per, it, it was a perfect, and, perfect performance for that role by Seth Green. Yeah. But I mean, like there's even this scene where uh, he and Billy Crystal are sitting down and, uh, it was just after the, uh, you know, the the leaked tape kind of thing, and he's like, "Do you like Eddie?" And he's like, "I love Eddie," you know, but you're not here to love people, right? If you have someone die, you know, dur- you know during the filming, you get up in front of the press and go, "It was really sad. We'll miss her. She would have loved this film." And I think there's those those lessons that Lee is kind of imparting on 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 Seth Green's character, and it's it's you know. It's a harsh reality of the industry that you have to have this, this almost, you know, mechanical separation from from feelings and reality, you know. But the the the, the thing is, and I think that's why Lee leans on, or at least respects Kiki so much, is that Kiki is very much what Lee is. You almost have to wonder what Billy Crystal's experiences have been in the past prior to writing this because it was so satirical mm-hmm. on Hollywood in general, right? It was like, you know, the 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 depiction of the Hollywood marriage and how the industry promotes a new movie. Um, and when things start to go bad in that relationship, I mean... You could parallel quite easily the whole Johnny Depp and Heard trial like of today, right? In just a Hollywood couple that, you know, things go bad, but then it's like completely blown out of proportion. Wait, are you, are you the saying media, that there's a movie out there with, with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and it's going to get pushed out? I am waiting. <laughs> I am I am waiting for Hollywood to pick up on this and write the script. They're probably in pre-production right now. They were just waiting to see how <laughs> the the verdict goes down, right? Well, I mean, like, to that same token as well, I mean, you you take a look at, you know, at Benifer. I was going right? to say, that's ben, the second ben, example. Ben, ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, which, of course, like, that just put a, that put a whole stank on Gili, right? Yeah. And then, you know, People will sit there and look at Jersey Girl and say, well, the best part of that movie was when Jennifer Lopez's character died and Ben Affleck had to move on. 
But then even like recently, like there was a stretch where Ben Affleck was with Ana de Armas uh, from Blade Runner and uh, a couple of other movies and whatnot, uh, Knock Knock, and and then they did this movie called Deep Water, and it was supposedly like one of those like erotic thriller type movies. And then they broke up. Affleck's back with with Jennifer Lopez, and the film gets like literally like just snuck on to Prime Video. Like, yeah, it's just what like this is literally that. It feels like to a point. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, perfect example, right? Wait, and are, then- are you saying there's an Illuminati that's setting up actors just to promote movies? <laughs> I said We're it back again. to that again. I'm tempting fate. Conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, you know what? No one has said it isn't true. <laughs> mm? like, like, you can write to us at it's not that bad. <laughs> like, Lawsuit pending. Like I, I could almost like hear Tom Hanks pick up the phone going, someone knows. And they're saying <laughs> it on a podcast. Because you know, you know, Tom Hanks is at the head of the <laughs> Illuminati. Like he is the freaking Reed Richards of the Illuminati, right? Like making all the, oh, Tom Hanks rules the world. And it's, and it's not even funny. I want to see that movie. Uh, and if they do make that movie, it needs to be directed by Hal Neiman, also played by Christopher Walken, because that was just, you know, when you get a, a, a an actor and it feels like it was written specifically for that actor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this was written specifically for Christopher Walken or if they had the role of the director as a, this neurotic kind of director. Then they realized they got Christopher Walken and they're like, OK, we're going to Walkenize the script because I'm sure Walkenize is actually a Hollywood term these days. Yet, you know what? I'm going to argue that he didn't necessarily Christopher Walken, this character. I mean, normally you joke about Rob Schneider playing Rob Schneider as Rob Schneider. You can do it! Or Gary Sinise as Gary Sinise. Right. Playing the role of Gary Sinise. Right. However, this was not Christopher Walken as Christopher Walken. He was very... Um, to a point. Low-key Christopher Walken. I mean, yes, he had that element of of crazy, but it wasn't near to his full extent. I, I think if you're creating a, a, a Christopher Walken scale of things, right? You take his role in The Rundown, that movie with The, with the Rock and Sean William Scott, and his... his his character is way up here, right, with this. And then... Crazy, set to 11. Right. But then you take his role in Pulp Fiction, which is a very understated kind of role, impactful, yes, and relies more on the walk-in dialogue style that, that, that screams through. This kind of fits right in the middle. Because while he's not at rundown kind of Christopher Walken... You have some of those dialogue walkerisms that kind of, you know, walkerisms that kind of fit, you know, fit perfectly with the role of Hal Needham. And like, it's, it's, I don't know anyone else who could walk in with the long gray hair and just pull that off 
so well like the literally that that cabin in the woods kind of director and you can i'm sure there's people who are sitting there going oh yeah like i'm sure that's Zack snyder on on his off days kind of thing um <laughs> little cabin in the the backyard uh it's just there, there's just so much crazy about him and you you could easily think of a bunch of directors where you sit there and go yeah i could see them doing that and the dance scene was fantastic <laughs> i absolutely loved I loved the edit of this movie. I, I just loved, I, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but if you haven't seen it by now. It's 21 years. 21 years. However, I did want to point out that for the most part, the cast probably looks very similar right? to how they did 21 years the, ago. The 21 what? years have done every every single person in this cast have done very well for themselves 21 years. Like, they could remake this movie and it, it would still look the same. What flavor of Kool-Aid are they drinking? And Tom Cruise, no doubt. Right. To, like, preserve their <laughs> their appearance. They're, they're Benjamin buttoning the whole thing like, like, like Paul Rudd in reverse. I tell you, two years of COVID and it, it's aged me 20 years, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to look like Christopher Walken in this film. <laughs> Playing the role as Christopher Walken. Right. Okay. I, I wanted, before we get to the MVP here, there, there's something I wanted to point out. And that's, you know, the rating for this film. And that's kind of like, you know, obviously uh, the mantra of this show is that it's not as bad as the critics make it out to be. So let's go back to the tomatometer on this one here. 32 percent and i want i want to draw some parallels here okay because that's kind of where we're sitting at and the box office doesn't necessarily dictate the critic ratings we've seen that across the board um but i want to pull out at least of the main four actors billy crystal Catherine zeta jones julia roberts and john cusack i went through Rotten Tomatoes, just to, just to find some comparable films, like whether they're they're lighthearted in nature, so rom-coms, romances, or comedies, okay? So, like, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, take the mask of Zorro and compare it to this because they're two very different movies. But let's talk about, and these are all movies that have a higher critic score than America's Sweethearts. And some of them are around that time, too. Um, Billy Crystal was in The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. That was horrible. 43%. And Forget Paris, which the forget part is there, um, 48% compared to this. For Catherine Zeta-Jones, Rock of Ages has a 43% tomatometer. Really? Yeah. Hmm. You, you're, you're. Are you really in that because you thought it'd be higher, or are you really in that because you're, you're like surprised it's that high? No, because I thought it would be higher. Really? Yep. Hmm. And Maybe then, that's one for another show. And then there's the Phantom. We talked about the spirit, right? The Phantom is Billy Zane in a tight purple suit and like eye mask running around with a young Catherine Zeta Jones. That sits at 41%. It's not a good film. Uh, Julia Roberts, okay, Runaway Bride, 46%, right? And that's 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 there, right? Um, Notting Hill, 
is an 83%. Now, I'm not saying that, that Notting Hill isn't a better film than America's Sweethearts, but I don't know if it's, you know, more than twice as good as America's Sweethearts. I loved that movie, and I completely agree with that. Okay, and then we go to John Cusack, okay? Must Love Dogs, the film with him and Diane Lane, was a 37% tomatometer, so close, okay? But then there's tape heads, okay? Him and Tim Robbins, you know? And the whole thing is like a spoof on them, on like the music video industry. We actually have a copy of Tapeheads in our in our collection. I'm pretty sure it's actually on VHS. And I need to point this out here. The box office total for Tapeheads, it's 129,000. Not million, thousand sits at a 60% tomatometer. 60. I'm pretty darn skippy. America's Sweethearts is a better film than Tapeheads. So this begs the question, is America's Sweethearts at 32% tomatometer? Are the critics being too harsh? Like what, what, like why do you think it was so low? If I may speculate. Are you mooting an idea? I, you know what? Um, Moot away. As far as caliber of talent, this movie has it. Mm. I mean, I'm sitting here right now uh, in a state of panic because I know that the next part of this podcast is going to talk about an MVP mm-hmm. and I'm still undecided I will admit <laughs> however um caliber of talent is bang on the script is bang on mm-hmm. the satirical look at Hollywood perfect however even with the great script really funny lines really well delivered by the actors. Mm -hmm. I think that the downfall was um, that it was just so predictable. And I don't think that there's anything that the actors could have done to change that. I don't think it was a flaw in the writing um, or the direction. Uh, I mean... I don't think anything really could have changed because it was what it was. But I think that was its downfall is that as far as romantic comedy, you just, you knew, you knew he, Eddie was going to wind up with the sister and, uh, um, you know, uh, Gwen was, her career is pretty well tanked. She's lost her personal assistant, her her best friend, her sister, her, um, you know, her, her rock basically. And she has to live with her, you know, um, her personality being her downfall. You know, she pretty much pissed her entire life away. She had the love of a great guy, Eddie, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but she just wasn't satisfied. And I think that's very much, probably how she's always been maybe growing up Kiki has 
always seen her get her way and then she'll get what she wants in that moment and then move on to the next pretty shiny thing, right? Like, I don't think that her character was a very good person and I think, um, you know, I, I just I, I just think it was the predictable storyline and it was what it was and I don't think it was meant to be anything groundbreaking and I think that the critics probably, I don't know, based their their decisions and their ratings on that. Okay, let me throw some hypotheticals at you here. And I'm curious if you think that these, you know, for lack of a better term, studio notes would actually make this movie better or worse. Okay, first one, apparently the film was originally rated R right for stronger language and sexual innuendos should have should it have stayed r or do you think it was better to keep it as pg-13 and get the box office that they did because i mean i mentioned that that comparison bridget jones's diary is second on the rom-com list for that year but it's rated r so is pg-13 the right move for this yeah i mean i i think it is what it is it's meant to be a light Mm mm-hmm rom-com like i mean there was nothing really overly r about it i mean they could they have like bumped up the sex scenes maybe but why it wasn't warranted no this movie wasn't this movie was supposed to be fun and light i don't think it was meant to be an r like they certainly don't have to take it to that level mm-hmm. okay Slight, slight story change here. Rather than putting in the romantic storyline with Kiki and Eddie, um, you change it a bit so that instead of, I mean, Kiki is still friends with Eddie. Like that whole part is is still there. But rather than put the romantic Eddie chooses Kiki storyline, Kiki basically leaves Gwen as far as working for her and opts to choose with Eddie because she realizes that Gwen is just a horrible person. It's basically friends kind of walking away from the industry. I think, I think it's interesting because um, you have to wonder if during Eddie and Gwen's marriage, if Kiki was maybe more of a player involved, like and and maybe Kiki, you know, looked at Eddie as as I mean, almost like her her soulmate, almost like the perfect man. And she she was meant to be with him because she was very much Gwen's right hand. Mm-hmm. She did everything for her. She was no doubt probably always there. So very involved in their wedding. So maybe Kiki looked at those divorce papers as this is way too final and she's always held that flame for Eddie, you know? So there was, there was much love there. Like, I don't think she could have just walked away from everybody. And I think as difficult and as horrible of a person as Gwen is, Kiki still looks at her very much like that's her sister and, and, this is her, not only her job, but this is like her, you know, she's under her wing. Like that's, 
Kiki, um, Gwen is there, you know, for Kiki to take care of. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. And then hypothetical here. Picture a sequel. Requiem for an Outfielder is being remade. And they try to bring Gwen and Eddie in for cameos into the remake of one of their old films. And then you have to have like, like yeah, Eddie and Kiki are still together, right? Gwen, we're not quite sure if she's still with Hector or not. But then it's the, you know, Kiki and Gwen haven't spoken since the, since the honk it. Um, do you want to see an America's Sweethearts too? Like, you know, if they made it now. You know, no. twenty years later down the road. No, really. No, no. I think, I think they said absolutely everything they needed to, and as I had mentioned, like it wasn't a bad movie. It didn't deserve to be panned by the critics, but it was very much. It was very predictable, and it was what it was. And leave it at that. Don't try. This would be the sequel that would land straight to Netflix. And, <laughs> you know, we would be sitting here questioning why they even spent the budget. I, th- I think if done right and Billy Crystal wrote it, um, it could be fun. Oh, no. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to manifest this into this. <laughs> you know, I'm already on Tom Hanks's, you know, Hollywood Illuminati list. I, so. want, my, I want my little Nikki sequel first. Oh. No, 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 yes, no. no, yeah, no, okay, no, not happening. <laughs> Tom Hanks is still on the phone, saying they're gone off the rails. Stop them now. The good people out there listening do not need to hear us arguing about this. We'll take this offline later. <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> you'll you'll write a little Nick Siggy, and you will you'll lay it. <laughs> little Nicky oh, sequel is so not in happening. <laughs> Uh, Tom Hanks is going to send someone to take care of me. Okay. <laughs> okay, it is time then to end this conversation before I get myself into deeper trouble with Tom Hanks. Um, it's MVP time. So no, I'm not ready. Oh, no, you have to be ready. I'm not ready for this. Who is your MVP of 2001's, I'm stalling here to give you a little extra time, America's Sweethearts? Oh, um, can you go first? No, I want to go second. <laughs> no, I want to go second. No, then I want to go first. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will go first this time because I don't care. I don't care. I don't Drive care. The car. <laughs> uh, you, you sit there, chew on your route, and I will name my MVP, okay? Now I want to be the limo driver. We should have gone first. Okay. <laughs> my MVP... First things first, honorable mention to Julia Roberts because, again, loved her in this film, loved this role for her. I think it's one of her more enjoyable, fun roles. Uh, I, there's a lot of movies that I love her in, but uh, but there's something about Kiki that that is just truly enjoyable. But this film isn't as good as it is without Billy Crystal. Like, honestly, from the script, like, from just from a script perspective... Billy Crystal is a freaking MVP because you have to watch this movie two or three times to pick up on every single little like and they're not they're not even like set up one liners. They're throwaway one liners. And that's that's some of the beauty of Billy Crystal's delivery of his comedy. But then him as Lee 
as as you know the 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 knot that's barely holding all of this together uh is just so enjoyable so with much respect to Julia Roberts as Kiki, Billy Crystal is my absolute MVP of America's Sweethearts. I have stalled long enough. It's time. All I can say is you did what you always tell me not to do, and you had a tie. Not and a you, tie. You mentioned, I, I know, but you mentioned two actors. And I always get in trouble. I get the finger wag. No, no. You, our friends listening don't get to see the finger wag, but I have had the finger wag for choosing more than one actor in the past. I said honorable mention. I didn't. Uh, okay. Fair enough. I, I have co-MVP'd before. I'm All not right. going to lie. Okay. Well. But go well, ahead. If you need to co-MVP, you co-MVP. Okay. No. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't need to. Put that finger down. <laughs> 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 oh my god well it's been a good uh you know 20 years uh, you're, you're going to leave me for hector aren't you <laughs> canadian sweetheart my ass <laughs> okay i'm ready i'm ready i am going to defend gwen okay okay because um i i think that uh catherine now is it zeta jones or zeta jones because you've been saying it different than i've always ever heard it yeah but i'm all, i'm an idiot in the basement with the microphone okay I, finger wagged by his by his canadian sweetheart <laughs> wife so thought, you know i thought you knew something that i didn't okay <laughs> have so, you not figured out oh you know in all the time that we've been together that i know jack squat and i fake it <laughs> i'm always the one mispronouncing names so mm-hmm. i'm gonna go with Catherine zeta jones um as gwen i think you know what she played her role beautifully she literally had and i've seen this movie before mm-hmm. i watched it again today <laughs> <laughs> um and i still every single time um gwen opens her mouth and kiki i, I just want to slap her i want to i want a bitch slapper because oh my god <laughs> she is so annoying however she plays it really really well and kudos to that i think that um she's the character that you love to hate and it's very much by design i'm sure she's a lovely person in real life (laughs) um but uh the the role of gwen was so incredibly hateable and you just really wanted to see um kiki and eddie wind up together and um for their marriage to be over because you want Eddie to be free and happy because he's a good guy. Good guy, Eddie. <laughs> um, so that aside, um, I'm very hopeful that Hank Azaria realizes uh, how awful she is and he runs too. Um, so if they did a sequel, that's what I'd want to see. That is what I, I would manifest. Is, well, uh, if they if they do a sequel. That Hector is it Hector? Hector. Hector. That Hector okay. becomes free. If they well. ever do an America's Sweethearts sequel, and I'm not trying to manifest this. However, if you do, Billy Crystal, if you do write this, please invite us to the Honkit. We would like to do the interviews with the actors. Now, maybe, maybe not. Could be fun. <laughs> I'm just trying to manifest that into reality. You know, bring bring us to the Hunket. Um, and to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of It's Not That Bad. Now, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie that you think is unfairly maligned or you think is 
just so bad that there's no way in hell that we can actually find anything good to say about it hit us up on twitter at not that bad cast and we will watch it we will dissect it and we will find the good things to say the a grades in those b movies until next time i'm jay she's carrie by all means go watch america's sweethearts it's a ton of fun until next time everyone take care achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.